Good morning, you guys. Uh, welcome to week one in the new series that we're doing. It is called The Survival Guide for Parenting. And I know you guys are seeing that this is a series about parenting, right? Uh, so some of you might already be checking out. You'll be like, oh, a three-week series on parenting. I'm going to take the next two weeks off, right? But I just want you to know that all of the principles and the things that we go through in the series, these are things that are really for every Christian. They're for people in all walks of life. It doesn't matter where you're at right now. These are things that we can all learn from and we can all kind of take in. In fact, I really think that, that young people would really benefit from this today as well. Uh, because I think learning to put these things into practice before tackling parenting, before getting into that in the first place, then you're going to be a step up. So if you're a young person, I'd encourage you to really pay attention to these. Although calling this a survival guide might just kind of scare any young people from taking on parenting in the first place. So I don't know. Um, but we all know that parenting is difficult, right? It is a tough thing. I've, I've heard a lot, of, a lot of mothers say that they don't send you home from the hospital with a manual. In fact, my sister just said a few weeks ago when she was over, um, she and, and my wife Sharice were talking uh, about, about parenting, about having babies. And, and I remember my sister specifically saying, after that first week, I was just amazed that I kept this baby alive that whole time. And, and I think that's, that's really the thought with a lot of this, right? We go into this not really knowing what we're doing um, and, just, and just pray that, that we'll all survive, kids as well as parents, right? So we're going to be in this series for three weeks, okay? And here's where we're going to be going with it. Today, we're going to talk about the first principle being putting God first. And then next week, our second principle is to discipline with love. Because the Bible actually says that disciplining with love really is, is an important uh, thing. That if you love your kids, you're going to lovingly discipline them. And then our third principle is going to be affirm your kids. Because this is an important thing for all children, no matter how difficult they are. Um, they all need to be affirmed. Um, so this is where we're going to be going in this series, okay? But just to be clear, these are awesome principles. They're important principles, but these are not fail-safe principles. Following these things, it's not going to guarantee that your kids are going to love God, that they're going to follow Jesus. Your children are going to make their own decision, regardless of the way that you parent. But I can tell you, practicing these principles is definitely going to give them the best chance. It's going to give them the best chance at wanting to live a God-honoring life. So this first principle, put God first, you might wonder, are these in order of importance? Well, I can't tell you about two and three. I can't tell you about discipline with love and affirming your kids, what order those are in. But today, putting God first, I know for a fact this is the most important principle in parenting. Now let's look at our first point here. Parenting is like everything else in life. If you put God first, the rest of it falls into place. Now, I kind of want to be a little transparent here with you all before I start preaching on this. Um, for me, this isn't something that I, I really did when I first became a parent. 
Um, and if you were at a different campus today, you'd hear another pastor giving another sermon, and they would be sharing their experience. And some of them can, can speak to this because they've seen how successful this is in their own parenting. Some of them have, have practiced this. They put God first. Their kids saw that, and they learned from their example. They saw how their parents put God first and how it, how it changed them, how they were obedient to God. And it led their kids to doing the same thing, to being obedient and, and wanting to follow God. So they can share this from a perspective of success in this area. Uh, but me, in my experience, um, I didn't do this. In fact, I, some of you may have heard my story, some of you may not, um, but I was not a believer when Sharice and I first met, and I became a stepdad to two kids who, they're, they're amazing, they're adults now, and they're amazing in a lot of ways, and I really, I love them very much. But neither of them are following Jesus right now, and that's pretty hard for Sharice and I. And whether, whether they recognize it or not, my influence, I, I know, played a part in that. I was really oppositional to, to Jesus. Um, I said a lot of hateful things um, about God, and, and that, I know that played a part. And I think if they'd had two parents in the home who had been both God-honoring parents, they would have had a better chance. So while I can't tell you how successful this, could, this is, been in my life, I can tell you that not doing this will be a detriment to your kids, because it's been a detriment in our kids' lives, I believe. And, but I can also tell you that I've seen parents who have done this, okay, and they've had a lot more success than those who don't. Now, before um, I started this message, you guys heard that reading from the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, I want to talk about Deuteronomy a little bit first, so we kind of understand the context of, of what we're going to be digging into today. Deuteronomy was basically like Moses' last sermon to the people of Israel, okay? Before they were going to go enter the promised land, they'd been wandering in the desert for 40 years. Something, uh, I don't, maybe, maybe you guys know, maybe you don't, the land of Canaan probably should have only taken them a few weeks to get to. So the real question is, why did it take them 40 years before they were able to enter the promised land? Well, if you know the story of the Exodus, the, God rescued the nation of Israel from, sla from slavery in Egypt, right? And they got to witness some pretty amazing miracles. They got to see God part the Red Sea, right? They got to see him, God appear as like a pillar of fire. Just amazing, amazing miracles, but despite all that, these people still, they had doubts, and they ended up rebelling against God. And God knew that in order for them to go into the promised land and take it and prosper there, that they were going to need to be a people that put God first. They needed to be a people that were going to be submitted to God. They weren't going to succeed if they didn't. So the first generation chose to rebel against God and so they ended up having to wander in the desert for 40 years. So now, 40 years later, they're getting ready to enter the promised land. And Moses is giving him this last sermon. And what he, what he wants them to understand is that they need to put God first. They need to practice these principles. It's not going to work if they don't. 
So one of the things that Moses reminded them of was the Ten Commandments they'd been given, right? And now, if we look at this, we can see these first four commandments, they're all about putting God first, okay? Now let's look at those a little more closely. You look at the first commandment, okay? No God before me. Now why is this an important commandment? I like to think of it in context of any kind of relationship, but mostly if you think of it in context of maybe a marriage relationship, um, if you don't put your spouse first, if somebody else is going to be put above your spouse, that's going to be a bad, a bad day, right? That's going, to be, that's going to be issues in your marriage. And this is kind of the way that our relationship with God should be. He doesn't want anything to come before him. He doesn't want anything in place of that. The second one, no idols. This is, this is similar along the same lines. He doesn't want anything taken away from him. He also doesn't want anything that is not real for you to be worshiping something that isn't going to give you anything. It talks over and over in the Bible about uh, these different people who were not followers of God and these idols that they worshiped. And the prophets were always trying to tell these people that you're worshiping something that can't give you anything. These idols are dead. They're nothing. And that's going to take away from, from God. That's going to take away from, from your relationship with me. So that's why that, that second one is there. The third one talks about don't, don't misuse God's name, right? Don't take his name in vain. This one's, I think this one is something that we really don't think about a whole lot today. And I think that's, that's kind of sad. Um, how many people do you know that you would use their name as a curse word? Right? If you used your spouse's name as a curse word, how would that go over? How would it go over if you used your mom's name as a curse word? Probably get slapped right upside the face, right? Um, this, is, this is something that I think is, is really sad because we really minimize God. We really don't, don't think his name is that holy that we would consider this um, as something that, that really would be um, disrespecting God. And it is. His name is holy. He is holy. And we, and we really need to respect that. And that's what, what Moses wanted them to understand, okay? So he's reminding them of these. Now, the fourth one, observe the Sabbath. Now, when we read this, what do we, what do we think about? A lot of times we think about the Sabbath being the, the Saturday, right, that, that they contributed to um, worship, the nation of Israel did. But we're, we're still meant to honor the Sabbath today. But how do we do that? What's the purpose of the Sabbath? The Sabbath was was meant to take time away from all of our day-to-day -day activities, right? All the things that, that really just distract us from God, distract us from, from worshiping him. And it's to take that time and give it over to God. And so this is something we should still be practicing today. It's not necessarily the Old Testament, you know, Saturday Sabbath, but this is something that we need to be um, taking that time and, and giving that time over to the Lord. So these are things that Moses really wanted to remind them of. These commandments are crucial to knowing how to put God first. And he tells them in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 33, Stay on the path that the Lord your God has commanded you to follow. 
Then you will live long and prosperous lives in the land you're about to enter and occupy. See, what he's, what he's saying to them is if they didn't stay on this path, if they didn't follow what, what God's told them to do, they're not gonna prosper. They'll be like the previous generation. They're gonna be lost. They're gonna be completely lost without them. And they're not gonna be able to take the promised land. They're not gonna be able to prosper there. See, he, God needs people who are submitted to him. And it works the same in everything we do. In fact, Jesus even reiterates this. In Matthew chapter, chapter 6, verse 33, he says, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he'll give you everything you need. This idea right here about putting God first about seeking the kingdom of God above everything else. This is something we see all throughout the Bible. You know, and it's, it's something that is obviously extremely important if it's reiterated this many times. And this, this is something that we should be looking at in everything that we're tackling, whether that's our job, whether that's, um, you know, fellowshipping with, with people, maybe, maybe meeting with our neighbors, getting together with friends. But I think in parenting, this is really, especially in parent, it's, it's really important, okay? And this brings us to our second point. The command to obey applies to every generation. Parents obey God, and kids obey their parents. See, Moses goes on to say in Deuteronomy 6, 1 to 3, these are the commands, decrees, and regulations that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you. You must obey them in the land you are about to enter and occupy. And you and your children and, get, and grandchildren must fear the Lord your God as long as you live. If you obey all, the, all his decrees and commands, you will enjoy a long life. Listen closely, Israel, and be careful to obey. So, He's telling us right here how we put God first. And it comes down to obedience, by obeying him, by listening to what he's told us in his word. Why do we struggle with that so much, though? That, uh, that word obey. You know, we, as parents, we want our kids to obey, right? I think that's a good word. But when we apply that to ourselves, I know for me, that word makes me cringe. Obey. Ugh. I think um, a lot of it just comes down to, for me, I know it comes down to pride. I think I have it all figured out. I've, I've done this. I got it, right? Now when it comes to the kids, I just want you to obey me. I've got it all figured out. And I think, for me, what this is doing is it's minimizing God. And something... It was quite a few years back um, that I really, I, I was struggling to really comprehend the greatness of God, the holiness of God. And I think that's what ends up making me minimize God. And I found uh, something in Isaiah quite a few years back that really hit me. See, in Isaiah chapter 6, the prophet Isaiah, he has a vision of the Lord on his throne. And in this vision, 
he sees these heavenly creatures called seraphim, okay? And they're surrounding God's throne and they're singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And in the vision, Isaiah says that that when he sees this, when he witnesses it, he is so overcome. And he's so overcome with his own wickedness and his own unworthiness to be in the presence of a holy God. And his response, I I like the way the NIV version says it. His response was, Woe to me, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And when I read this, that just, that resonated with me. I think that that's probably how I would respond if I were in the presence of a holy God. You know, if I was really that aware of how great, how powerful he is, and knowing my own sin nature, knowing how broken and sinful I am, I mean, that, that would be that fear of the Lord that we talk about, right? That a lot of times we don't, we don't talk about as, as much as we used to. But I think that's what that fear of the Lord is. It's a recognition of how great he is and how great I am not. But also in that vision, one of the seraphim come over to him with a coal, a hot coal from the altar, okay? And the seraphim actually touches his mouth with that hot coal and tells him that his guilt has been taken away. See, that thing, that hot coal, it purified him. It burned and purified him. And this not only gives us a glimpse of, you know, the, this amazing vision that he had of how great and holy God is, but it's also, this is also a foreshadowing of what Jesus did, of how he came to rescue us. Because we were dead in our sins. There was nothing we could do to, to make up for it. We, we all live sinful lives and we were going to be lost. We were going to have to suffer eternal separation from a holy God because of that. But he didn't want to leave us in that state. God didn't want to leave us there. So Jesus, who, who the Bible says, all of creation was made through him. He came down into his creation. He stepped off his throne and he became a man. And he humbled himself into, the Bible even calls him coming down to be a slave, okay? He came down to live this perfect life that none of us ever could. And then he lays down that perfect life in our place that we didn't deserve. And when we put our faith in Jesus, if we put our faith in him as our only means of salvation, this means that we're now covered in his righteousness, we give our lives to him, and, and just like that hot coal that purified Isaiah in his vision, that's what the blood of Jesus does to us. It purifies us. It gives us his righteousness. Now, if you haven't put your faith in Jesus yet for your salvation, I hope that, that this message 
that this idea would really kind of sink in with you, that you would understand how we are in front of the presence of a holy God and how much we need a Savior. And there's nothing that we can do to earn it. The only thing we can do is put our faith and trust in Jesus, give our lives to him, and he covers it. He makes us right with God again. And if you want to make that decision today, find somebody that you came with, find a leader. We'd, we'd love to help you make that decision. We'd love to pray with you about it and, and, and help you to do that because it's the most important decision that you're ever going to make. Now, Jesus didn't just pay for our sin, though, okay? The other thing he did was he was the ultimate example of obedience, See, we read here in Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 to 8, Paul tells us here, Paul is talking about Jesus. And he says, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. See, Jesus was God. And even he came down and humbled himself to practice and show obedience to us. Now, if Jesus can do that, how can I not do that? How can you not do that? He demonstrated obedience to us and we can demonstrate obedience to our children. See, as parents, if your kids see you living out this obedient life to God, it's gonna set, a, it's gonna set that kind of example for them to be obedient to you, right? And hopefully that they'll eventually live that God-honoring life too. And that's why God designed families the way that he did. Parents are meant to spiritually lead their children Right? And we're meant to do that by example. In Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 to 3, it says, Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you, and you will have a long life on earth. So let's go back and look at these Ten Commandments again, okay? We already talked about the first four, how they're about loving God. Those first four really tell us how to put God first, okay? Now the last five, these are about how we love other people. These are how we interact with and, 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 and show love and, and honor to other people. The fifth one here, it's a little bit different, right? This fifth one, is, it's kind of like this bridge between those things, Okay? See, children learn to love and obey God by learning to love and obey their parents. It's a training ground, kind of. So God designed all of this to teach us how to love and honor him. And this is going to bring us to our last point here. Wholehearted obedience should impact every part of our lives, both personally and as a family union. Family unit, excuse me. So now we can kind of get back to that scripture reading that we had at the start, right? You heard him 
reading from Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is actually uh, what we call the Shema. This is a, this is a prayer that, that the nation of Israel would, would pray over and over again. And it says, listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. So we read that, and we talk about giving ourselves wholeheartedly, right? And I know for me, I didn't really, I didn't really get that when I first became a Christian. It was, that just seems weird. Like, how do I give myself wholeheartedly? Well, there's a few kind of disciplines, just a few examples that we can talk about, okay? Here's some personal disciplines that this would look like. Prayer, Bible reading, disciple making. These are things that we would really be putting into practice if we want to, to put God first. There's a few other disciplines, though, um, because this should impact how we, how we interact in our families, the things that we do in our families, too. And those things would involve things like going to church, you know, all together as a family, serving together in family time. See, Moses tells us how much we need to dedicate our time and effort to the things that honor God. He goes on in in that same passage there. He says, and you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home, when you're on the road, when you're going to bed, and when you're getting up. See, being a Christian, if you've, if you've given your life to Jesus, this should impact every part of your life. It shouldn't just be a weekly thing, right? We come to church service on Sunday, check that box, and on to the next, right? Live out the week as, as we normally would. No, this should, this should impact everything that I do, the way I interact with people, the way I work. In fact, if you go on to read further past this, um, on into verses 8 and 9, Moses actually talks about, he, he says that you should tie these commands on your hands. Um, wear them on your foreheads. Write them on your doorposts. And, you know, the, if, if some of you know some of the, the Jewish uh, religious practices, they actually do this, right? They're called phylacteries, where they, where they tie, the, tie the, the boxes with the scriptures in them on their foreheads, and, and they do all this stuff. And that's fine, but, but, the, but the point is it was meant to be symbolic. This was meant to be symbolic of that this is going to be something that's constantly on my mind. God is going to be something that I'm constantly thinking about. It's going to be something that I'm constantly pursuing. And for me in my own life, this is something that I have witnessed um, bring about change in my own life. As I, as I came to faith, and, and I recognized that I needed a savior. It, it, it still didn't bring about the change that I expected. And it's because I still wasn't putting God first in my life. I would show up on Sunday, right, and, and listen to a good message. And then I was going about my week just doing the same things that I did. Living the same distracted life that I did. Living for myself. And it took a long time of, of practicing some of these spiritual disciplines. Of figuring out ways that I could put God first in my life 
I stopped spending all my time on sports apps and, you know, doing all these things that were taking up time out of my day. And, and I started replacing those things with, with Bible reading on my phone. I've got an app on my phone that I like to read. I started listening to, like, sermons and, and things like that at work. And it wasn't easy at first. <laughs> it was kind of a chore. But I noticed over time that, that I started to change. I started to really desire that stuff. I started to want to know more and more about God and about the ways that, that I could serve him more, that I could live for him because I stopped caring so much about me. And that's not out of my effort. That's out of God. God's the one who, who changed my heart that I was able to focus more on him. So some of these things can sound a little silly or extreme to some people. And I think to most of the world, this would sound extreme. It would sound silly to them that we put God first in every single thing that we do. That everything we're doing is all about honoring God. But we're also commanded not to conform to this world, right? We're meant to be set apart from this world, which is what the word holy means. It means to be set apart. And God calls us to be holy. So I'd encourage you guys to really, really think about that today, Okay? about this principle of putting God first. And we are especially talking about this in parenting. But even if you're not a parent, putting God first in every part of your life is gonna change you. It will. Because we don't live for ourselves anymore when we're a Christian. We now live for God, right? And we have a new, we have a new nature in us when we put our faith in Jesus. And that faith, that, that new life gives us this permanent connection with Jesus. And I think really we should think about that today. We're gonna to be taking communion in a little bit. Um, really reflect on that today, that, that connection that we have with him. Um, before we do communion though, let's, let's go ahead and pray. God, we have really dug into your word here into some, some principles that are so important for us to practice some principles that will help us with parenting, will help us with so many other relationships that we have, that are gonna help us with, um, with every part of our life, really. And so God, as we, as we go about the week, as we get back into our day-to-day -day activities, I just pray that we would remember to put you first. That we would remember that we love life that glorifies you. You created us for your glory. And God, we, we don't really comprehend your, your holiness, but we know you do give us glimpses of it from time to time. Things in your word really give us some good ideas of how holy you are. And so God, I just, I just pray that you would, you would lead us into having just a greater desire to dig into your word, to have more meaningful prayer time, to have more quality time together with our families, with our loved ones, that we would be able to become less about ourselves, more about you and others, because Jesus, you told us that's, that's what we're here for. That's the greatest commandment is to love you and love others. And God, we are just so grateful to know these things. We're so grateful for Jesus. We're so grateful for 
the undeserved gift of grace that we're given. And as we take communion today, I just pray that we would really focus on that gift, that amazing gift of grace, that Jesus, you laid down your life in our place because you love us. And we just pray all these things in your name, amen.